growing concern for many outdoor workers across the country is the risk of a tick encounter in their workplace. Fortunately, there are steps that employers and employees can take to reduce the risk of tick bites and tick-borne illnesses. Increased awareness is an important first step. Creating and implementing policies in the workplace helps keep employees safe and businesses running efficiently. Jordan Tesluk is a forestry safety advocate, acting as a liaison between the field and industry. He's also a pretty wicked mountain biker. Welcome to our podcast, Jordan. Thank you for having me on today. Can you tell our listeners about your job so that they have some context about your perspective? So I work with a committee of company owners, employers, employees, and regulatory agencies, specifically with the silviculture and consultant forestry industry. So that includes operations such as tree planting, firefighting, brush cutting, forestry survey, and other affiliated work. My role is to sort of help the different parties work together to improve safety. And at times this means developing educational initiatives, training programs, and educational outreach programs to help share and spread important safety information around the industry. Wow, that's great. You really get to visit some interesting outdoor workplaces. Uh, Do you find that there's more awareness about ticks and Lyme disease than say five years ago? Absolutely. I would say that the change in awareness within our industry really started about 10 to 12 years ago. And that was primarily due to a number of high profile people in the industry that were quite well known coming being diagnosed with Lyme disease. And secondly, um, through some engagement with uh, groups such as CanLyme, we made an effort to increase awareness and we had a, a small campaign to spread educational materials, um, to increase awareness. And certainly we've not only spread more information, we've been successful in getting rid of some of the false information that was out there. Yeah, that's a really important thing to do, definitely. And are are you aware of any reports about tick bites in the workplace? Yes, um, I would. I can say that just amongst people that I have directly met and spoken to um, in person, I've I off the top of my head, I can think of five people within the tree planting sector that I know have been bitten by ticks and diagnosed with Lyme. In my own personal circle of of friends and family. I know of three people um, that have been bitten by ticks and diagnosed with Lyme. How could employers notify their staff about the occupational hazard of tick bites? Is there a need for better resources? Well, they are already obligated to identify all potential hazards to workers um, and conduct risk assessments. So this should be part of basic training when people are educated about their job and trained in the use of preventive measures. That is the first point at which employers should be informing workers of this hazard. They can also provide more specific information based upon seasonal windows and based upon specific geographical areas where it is known that ticks are more likely to be active at certain times of year. Yeah, so CanLime is actually creating a new brochure that's specific for an audience of outdoor workers and outdoor enthusiasts, and we're happy to share that with you if you want to distribute that amongst your channels. That would be wonderful. Uh, new information resources are always welcome in our industry, and you know workers are always keenly looking at anything that is new. That's great. 
Now, the Canadian Union of Public Employees, or CUPE, uh, they're alerting their members and stating that the employer should develop safe work procedures in consultation with the Health and Safety Committee. Are you seeing evidence of the development of safe work procedures in your industry? Well, that is a regulatory requirement. Um, You have to have uh, written safe work procedures for the task performed, and you're generally required to have your safety committee involved in that process and in the development of controls or preventative measures. Now, um, when it comes to something such as ticks, for example, and the risk of Lyme disease, there's not necessarily a safe work procedure associated with ticks, but they they should be identified as a hazard, that that hazard should be assessed to determine what is the level of risk. And then preventative measures should be recommended by the company. The Health and Safety Committee should be consulted in the development of those preventive measures so that workers um, are made more aware of the those particular control measures and that they have an opportunity to provide their own input to the to these measures that are designed to protect them. So are you involved in creating or informing policy development in the workplace? Um, Not directly on an individual company level. As a safety auditor, sometimes my role is to actually review companies. So it would be a conflict of interest for me to um, directly develop safety protocols for companies and then review my own work. I do advise companies about gaps in their programs. If I review a safety program and I see that they have not identified specific hazards, let's say they haven't noted that ticks are a risk or they haven't noted that dangerous trees are a risk, I identify that and say you should be developing controls for these hazards. So how can small companies, say like a small landscaping company, how can they create good safety procedures? Is there somewhere they can access like a template for best practices? Well, um, I, I guess when I work in forestry and we have what we call a um, a certified third partner. So we work with the BC Forest Safety Council and they have uh, what's called the base or the safe companies program. The safe companies program is a certification program and companies apply to participate in this program. And if their safety program meets the standard and has the adequate content and is is executed and implemented properly, they're eligible for this certificate, which gives them an ins- can give them an insurance rebate. That's called a certificate of recognition, and also gives them a little stamp. Now, not all industry sectors and all employers use this. So when it comes to companies in forestry, we have this larger sort of safe certification. Um, bureaucracy, if you will, that is designed to help them develop the programs and help them enhance it. In many other sectors, this sort of an initiative isn't as well developed yet. And really, employers are sort of out there on their own without supporting agencies to steer them in one direction or another. Um, So it's definitely uneven across different sectors. You mentioned landscaping. Um, If a landscaping or a gardening company wanted to be involved in a uh, a safe certification program, their choice would be Ag Safe, AG Safe uh, BC. They deal with agriculture and farming, but there's not a lot of them. There's only a small handful of landscaping companies that are affiliated with that program. Okay, well, that's good to know. Uh, are you aware of any actions by WorkSafe BC to protect employees or support them if they acquire tick borne illnesses, illness while working in the field? Um, 
I'm not directly aware of that. Um, I my assumption is that if a person was to um, experience a tick bite at work, and that was clearly documented as having occurred in the workplace, and that they were subsequently diagnosed with Lyme disease as a result of that tick bite, that would qualify as a potential work-related illness or injury. Um, that's my expectation based upon my understanding of, of the Workers' Compensation Act. I am not necessarily aware of any official position by WorkSafe on the matter, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just interesting watching this roll out, you know, in different parts of the world. Like I was reading how in New York State, there's lawmakers there that are considering making Lyme disease an occupational illness under workers' compensation. So that's kind of why I was, I'm just curious about that. Ah, okay. So this is interesting. When you when you recognize uh, an illness or disease as an occupational illness, um, you end up having a lower threshold to 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 prove that this is um, linked to the workplace. For example, um, over the last about three years ago, two and a half years ago, actually, I believe, WorkSafe officially recognized. COVID-19 as an occupational illness, along with a small number of other illnesses. Now, that meant that, um, you know, so long as you were able to provide some reasonable um, evidence that this occurred in the workplace, that it it sort of was a little bit more fast-tracked towards establishing a claim. This doesn't disqualify other illnesses from happening, but there has to be something about the nature of the of the work, nature of the workplace or the task being performed that that make it more likely or more plausible that the illness has occurred. Now, if you think about this, there's a vast spectrum of illnesses and diseases out there. And if we simply recognize every single one of them as an occupational illness, the list of right. claims and applications to WorkSafe would be endless. There are, mm-hmm. So there has to be some sort of criteria. I think with um, with something like uh, Lyme disease and and you know tick-borne illness, there there has to be some sort of um, criteria or some sort of evidential burden that is satisfied so that. And that the kinds of cases that occur are can be genuinely linked to the workplace and that we don't end up capturing a whole bunch of cases that could occur through, let's say, social leisure time and so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess that's why it's so important that people check for ticks and uh, especially when they have, you know, most people have um, a first aid attendant on their team. So that person you know, having done that job myself, I mean, you, your job is to make sure that you're documenting the incident and a tick bite is certainly an incident. So, um, yeah, and that was actually going to be one of my questions. Like, is it a good idea for first aid attendants to be carrying a tick removal kit? Oh, absolutely. I, I think I'd like to point out one thing that you said there that's quite astute, um, Sarah, is that if if you are concerned about an occupational illness and your ability to link it to the workplace, conducting a daily tick check would be part of that. If you don't do that, it becomes more difficult to provide evidence that this occurred at work. So if right. you if you do a, a thorough job of checking yourself every day and you find one, you know, immediately after work, now you've got reasonable evidence to support that. Whereas if you just randomly happen to show that you've got a tick bite in any given week, how do we actually trace that to the workplace? So that point there, daily tick checks, 
you know, yes. Secondly, should um, first aid attendants carry um, tick pliers? They do have various types of tweezers um, as standard issue in a level one first aid kit, a dressing station, or a level three kit. Those are available. Um, in my experience, um, the the pliers and the extraction tools that are specifically designed for ticks tend to be more effective and easier to use than standard tweezers. Mm -hmm. uh, I personally think it's a good idea. It is absolutely um, okay for a first aid attendant or, or an employer to issue those. The guidelines that tell you what goes into a first aid kit are not set in stone. That's the right. starting point. They're just the starting point in the bare minimum. And if you do a risk analysis that tells you that a certain type of equipment is likely to be beneficial or helpful for the workers, you should include it. Absolutely. And now I know you and I spoke before too about um, genetics laboratory in Ontario. And how can you see people in the industry working with genetics as a partner in safety? Well, I, I think educating people about the availability of the services is, is an important starting point. A, a lot of people um, are unaware of the options for testing, um, and that includes people, you know, in the workplace as well as people within the um, within the healthcare industry. So I think making people aware of the options is the first starting point. I think also what employers could potentially consider is um, – is having an agreement to just pay for all um, potential suspected, uh, you know, uh, infected ticks. So if a worker has an embedded tick, um, even if um, there's not a uh, direct order or requisition from a medical professional to have the tick tested, I think it would be a small expense for an employer to say, we will pay for genetics testing. We're talking about $40 a tick. A large right. company, yeah, if we're if we're looking at a company of 100 people, maybe they'll have a small handful of embedded ticks over the year. Maybe this might add up to $400. In my opinion, and it's easy to say this when you're spending somebody else's money, but in, <laughs> but, but in my opinion, if a company of 100 people um, has to spend $400 to provide that extra level of screening mm -hmm. and care, I think that's a small investment for the potential payoff. Well, that's right. And even it could protect them in theory, because if they test the tick and it comes back negative and they end up with Lyme disease, then they know that it wasn't from the tick that bit them at work. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a liability tie in there as well. Um, I think it also helps establish it as a practice. If you leave it up to the individual, anytime you leave a health and safety protocol up to an individual and create sort of the, the appearance of choice, you're inviting inconsistency. If the if the employer says that this is to be part of our standard protocol, um, it's more likely it's going to be done and workers aren't going to be worried about the extra $40 or finding the time to do it. And you might actually have, a, you know, a, this will have a beneficial effect of educating the individual workers themselves about the options. Do you have any other closing comments for our listeners, Jordan? Um. I think that, I, you know, I do a lot of work with employers. And I'm looking at every opportunity to communicate with them. And I really urge employers to make sure they're recognizing tick-borne illness and all insect-borne illness. We, we, it's, we've we also seen mosquito-borne illness in our industry um, at times. Um, I, I, rec I, I recommend that they um, research this topic, 
that they ensure that they're talking with their workers about it and are providing them with updated and current educational materials and that they're educating their workers about preventive steps that they can take, the type of clothing, the types of, um, you know, self-care and hygiene routines and educating them about being able to identify ticks based upon species, being knowledgeable of the signs and symptoms of Lyme and collecting information about where they can go for more help should questions arise. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Jordan, for joining us today and sharing your expertise and have fun riding the trails with your son. Oh, I will, Sarah. Thank you very much for having me. And I appreciate the work that you and everybody else at Canline is doing. Thank you. If you work in the outdoors, remember to check for ticks, remove them properly, document the bite with a first aid attendant, and submit the tick to genetics for testing. Stay safe while working in the outdoors.